0: <laughs> Hi, I'm Holly. I'm Caleb. Joshua. I decided to open up my own agency. I'm a lawyer. I'm a colorist in the fashion industry. I work at a law firm. I'm a professional boy wrangler. I work in commercial real estate. I'm a seasoned human resources professional. Emails and client calls. And I lost the house that I cherish. A typical day is waking up next to my wife. Couldn't get her out of my head. <laughs> I'm the tallest person in my family. I like to make comic books. I got a tattoo of a tree. I love, I love that. Yeah, so that's all I think about. Who do you think? Who do you think you are? I'd like to uh, say thanks to Roy and the deacons again, even though Roy mentioned it uh, for all the hard work. There's been a lot going on on this campus for sure, and uh, they put in a lot of hours. Roy puts in a lot of hours, so I appreciate uh, him and his ministry here. Uh, There's so many good things about ministry, but I think if I could probably narrow it down to just a handful of things that I love, I love doing weddings. I know a lot of people maybe don't really enjoy going to weddings, but I love officiating at weddings, and I had a a wedding just a couple weeks ago, uh, a little over a week ago, and I love the part when I come to the place I'm ready to make the declaration of marriage uh, by the power vested in me as a minister of the gospel, I pronounce you husband and wife. There's just something just amazing about that moment, and then say, you can now kiss your bride. And immediately, this couple, their status changes. Uh, The wedding I did, they're back from their honeymoon, um, Freeland and uh, Haley um, Hollowell, and uh, just announcing them uh, for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. Freeland Hollowell III, and just that moment of just, it, it's instant. You know, most things in life take a process to get there, right? We work hard, and we go to school and get the education. We do all these things to, maintain, to, to get to a status, but in that moment in time, it's just formidable. It's emphatic that here we go. They're now a couple married in God's eyes, and, and that's really, really cool because things do normally take a process to get there. But when you think about your identity in Christ, it's the exact same thing. Sometimes we forget about that because we make our salvation such about getting into heaven that we don't really comprehend or think about the significance of what happens in our position, our status before God, when we come to faith in Christ. And I love how 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, says it. It says, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And so this definitive moment when the power of sin is immediately broken at salvation, when you become in Christ, when you're in Christ through Jesus, immediately the power of sin is broken for all those who put their faith in him and freedom for a new life is given. And our relationship as a person, as a human being, our relationship to sin completely changes at that point. Through the presence of the Holy Spirit, God gives us the power to have victory over sin. He gives us this new attitude because of the Holy Spirit living within us that all of a sudden sin no longer makes sense to us anymore. Because why? 2 Corinthians 5.15, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ who died for us. And so this change that happens, our identity, we go from being a sinner To a saint. And that's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray and we're going to look into God's word. Father God, we thank you so much for your word that does give us truth. As Buzz mentioned, the plumb line for our lives. And God, just on a practical basis, so many times we confess that we live life apart from you, that we may read our Bibles, but it's easy to just move on through our day and forget what you've called us to live and that you've given us the power and the authority and the Holy Spirit to live this way. And God, I pray that you will allow us to embrace our identity in you as saints, as righteous. And God, I pray that you'll help us to live out that identity more and more every day. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started this series on our identity. And last week we started at the very foundation that we're made in God's image. All humanity, everyone, is made in God's image. They're made to represent God. And even the person who is the most hardened sinner in the world, the person who is the most evil person you can think of, even in those people, God's image still exists at some level, although it's been extremely distorted through sin. And it's been defaced. Think about the bill last week, the dollar bill. It's been defaced from its original design. So made in God's image. But yet there's still, I believe, in every human being, this part of the being part of the image of God is this longing for our creator, longing for God. Every religion in the world is looking for something bigger and greater than themselves. And so there's this, inside of us, there's this God-given desire to see our creator, to know our creator. And that's in every single person. But... Our culture says how we find God is we look within ourselves to find that. And we looked at last week what the scripture says, that we don't start with ourselves. That's a big mistake if we start with ourselves. We start with God. We look at God, and God made us for his eternal purposes, and so only God can fulfill that destiny, that desire within us. Because he created us. He created us worth worth. He loves us, and so he desires for us to come to back to him. And he made that way, we talked about it at great length last week, through Jesus, God's wrath was satisfied. His justice was satisfied. And John fourteen six says, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, nobody gets to the Father except through me. So Jesus makes this incredibly bold declaration. He says, nobody gets reconciled to the Father unless they go through me, Jesus says. And so this longing, this innate desire to know our Creator only happens through Jesus Christ. And we must be bold about that because many people are looking for it in many other ways, including many other false religions other than Jesus. And Jesus says, no one comes to the Father but through me. And so in Christ, in Colossians 1, it says, we've been delivered from this domain of darkness and we've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sin. Let me read that again. In Christ, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness. We've gone from this place where we're in our sin, dead in our sin, and through Christ, we come through life in Christ. He's the truth. He's the way. And so we're transferred from the kingdom of the darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin, Colossians 1, 13, and 14. So we move through Jesus to a place of, pass beyond eternal death and separation instantly, in a moment, into the kingdom of Jesus. And so at that moment, the power of sin is broken. Scripture talks about the penalty of sin. We no longer will be judged for our sin. Immediately at salvation, God's wrath is satisfied. So the penalty of sin is broken, but the power of sin is broken as well. Because we've been changed and moved. Something radical has happened in our life, and the Holy Spirit moves in, and all of a sudden, our relationship to sin completely and utterly changes. It's, a, it's drastic. All, all of a sudden, sin is not something that is our friend, but sin is our enemy. When I was in Bible college, there was a guy who came to speak at our university, and his name was Ed Carter. And Ed Carter's story was pretty incredible. In fact, he tells on August, or, I'm sorry, November the 14th, 1970, 36 football players, 39 coaches and administrators, community leaders, and fans and crew died when Marshall University, their chartered jet, crashed. And some of you know this story. It was made pretty kind of famous in the, a movie a few years back. But prior to that weekend, Ed Carter was the starting defensive tackle, and his father had died, and he flew to Wichita Falls, Texas to be at his father's funeral, and he was preparing to rejoin the team when his mother talked him into staying longer. She did not feel good about the flight back, and she said, I don't feel good about this. I want you to stay here. And what's crazy about his story is his name was still on the passenger list. And so in his hometown newspaper, they printed his obituary. And so back at school, everyone thought he was dead, and Ed Carter told that when he returned to ca- uh, campus, a friend saw him and literally panicked and began to run and scream away thinking he was a ghost. And so Ed, the story, which is said this was all left out of the movie, Google, you can see it's, it's, it's all complete fact, and the documentary of Marshall talks about this, but this would have been great for the movie, I'm not sure why they left it out. But a few years after that, he placed his faith in Jesus. And in 1981, he founded a ministry that he named Death Unto Life Ministries. Death Unto Life Ministries. And the thing is, none of us have a story probably quite like Ed's and that dramatic and that, that cool that something so amazing could happen to him. But the truth is, all of our stories are death to life. That God res- rescued us, and it was every bit as radical and as decisive. And so our ministries, personally, could be called death unto life. We can say that God took us dead in our sins, and he transformed for, for, for us to his kingdom of light. Not a process, but an event. I declare you my child. And when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, immediately you're declared righteous before God because of Jesus. Because you've come through Jesus and he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. So to read Colossians 1 again, he delivered us, past tense, he delivered us from the domain of darkness and he transformed us, transferred us, I'm sorry, into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Amazing, amazing. And in fact, if you go through the New Testament and you look at what happened at your salvation, the list is pretty lengthy. I'm going to put that up on the screen and just highlight a few of those, if you'll go ahead to the next slide. This is what happened when you were spiritually dead in your sin under God's wrath, but God made you alive. He transferred you to the kingdom of light, and you became alive in Christ, adopted into God's family. You received heavenly citizenship. You became a new person, a priest, justified, buried with Christ. All of these things are now your identity. Before dead in your trespasses, God's wrath was on you. Immediately at salvation, your status changes from sinner destined for hell, eternal separation, to now alive in Christ, born again to live a new life. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. The life I live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me Galatians 2:20. So all Christians, whether or not you've had a great weekend, if it's been a monumental successful, you've defeated sin and temptation weekend or if you've struggled hugely and you're you're just you're just here today because you felt so guilt-ridden and so frustrated and you need to get something in your life but you know that you're really a believer whether or not you're in that place or the other place either way God has declared you righteous and holy in His sight if your faith is in Jesus Christ regardless of how you feel and so Romans 3:22 says it this way it says we were made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone no matter for everyone who believes no matter who we are no matter who you are you were made right with God when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. He transformed for you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He moved your identity from, I'm under God's wrath. I can no longer fulfill my purpose that I was created for. And now all of a sudden, in Christ, I see Christ. I am go through Christ. And all of a sudden, I'm accepted by Christ. I'm accepted by God, reconciled to God. My standing has completely changed. And all of a sudden things are completely different for me. My relationship to sin has completely changed. The sin which separated us from God, those are gone. Past tense, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to our account. Our position or standing before God is one that we've been declared righteous. And that's the sense in which every single one of us who are in Christ, we can say we're saints, even though that sounds odd because We've, most of us have grown up in a culture where we've heard that saints are people who have done a lot of good deeds and then they die and then somebody declares them a saint. But literally in scripture, saint means holy one. And Paul, when he wrote to churches, even churches like the church at Corinth, who was not doing so well, he referred to them as saints. So religion has misguided us to thinking that saints is something that happens after we live this remarkable life. But it's not. It's not a title reserved for just martyrs or monks or church fathers. It's for everyone whose identity is in Christ. And it's not something that you, it's who you are at the moment. It's not something you work to. It's something you are in the moment. So Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the penalty of sin, satisfied. The power of sin, Scripture says, whether you believe it or not, the power of sin is broken at salvation. But yet we're still left to li- deal with the, to, to keep it easy to remember, the presence of sin. The power of sin, the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin will still persist, persist in our life until we see Jesus. We know that, right? We know that's true. We, we feel that. We know there's this gap between what I know I am in Christ and what I want to become as far as practically in my life. The gap between the me I am and the me I want to become in the presence of sin blocks us. But there's still this this attitude that changes and this heart that changes immediately at salvation. And, And obviously we grow into more and more knowledge of sin as we read the word, as like Buzz said, the plumb line of scripture reveals to us the truth of God and his holiness. But as we see that, a believer wants to adjust to that and be more and more holy in his life. And so the me I am in Christ versus the street level that I feel frustrated at times with myself. I, I, I sometimes I, I want to do right, as Paul said, but I don't do right. And I find this frustration and this, this thing at work in me, Paul says. And, and, and so we, we look at the Scripture, and sometimes it feels like it's so beyond us. Like e- examples, Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says that we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And you think, well, I just find that hard to believe because I can't even get my kids to sit still in church on Sunday morning. How can I be seated there and this is happening in my real life? Or as Ephesians 1 says, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every spiritual blessing has been given to us in Christ and we say, well, I feel like a failure most of the days because we forget who we are in Christ and we let our circumstances bounce us back and forth like a pendulum swinging back and forth between you know i'm successful so i feel good i feel worth something between then i fail and then i feel terrible i feel awful i feel like a failure but our identity in christ is neither self-loathing or self-exalting it's not i'm i feel oh i feel awful about myself because i failed or it's also not well look at me look what i've done Because both of those deny the truth of the gospel. And I think Tim Keller's words put this in proper perspective. He writes A truly gospel humble person is not a self hating person or a self loving person, but a gospel humble person. The truly gospel humble person is a self forgetful person whose ego is just like his or her toes, it just works. It does not draw attention to itself. The toes just work. The ego just works. Neither draws attention to itself. So we're righteous in Christ. We're, we're saints in Christ, but that doesn't puff us up in ourselves. It humbles us with a gospel humility. And it also emboldens us because we realize it's not about us. And, and that's why I always go back to Galatians 2.20 because I think it says it so perfectly that I don't live, but Christ lives in me. And we grow and we're sanctified and we become more and more like Christ through a process of being in his word, being with his church, being around others who help us and encourage us. But there's a process that happens at the moment of salvation when the power of sin is broken and we become, be, begin to walk more and more in that identity. And at street level, we can feel like we're just we're a mess. We're, we're, things in our life are cluttered and not organized and we don't have it together, but that's Okay. Because God is working. God is doing something in your life. His grace has been given to you, and he is going to finish what he starts. He promises that. And so I love how Paul addresses the Ephesians when he prays for the believers that they will comprehend the blessings that are theirs in Christ. Ephesians 1.18, he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that's just deep down at your identity level, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the, here's the word, the saints. All right? So it's more than just I want to know the hope, but it's I, deep down in the eyes of our hearts, the, the picturesque language he uses there, that our hearts will truly comprehend our identity in him, who we are in him, and will know the riches in him. And so if you love Jesus and you trust that God is working for you, as Philippians 2.13 says, that God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him, if you believe that to be true and his grace is more and more in your life, you need to pause and just say, thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. Because that's not anything that I could do of myself. There's nothing that I could do. And so when we look at our lives and we see the messiness of our lives, it's easy To think I've got to do more to clean this act up. And God says, I'm doing a work. And yes, you participate, as Paul often said, we work, but we work with the power of God that's work within us. And so we make effort, but it has to be gospel humble effort. It has to be scripture driven, gospel humbled, prayer saturated. I can't do it on my own effort. Let me illustrate. Let's say that a five-star chef comes to your house, knocks on the door, says, hey, John, I'd like to come in and make a meal for you. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, I recognize you from that show on TV, and you want to make this meal for me? Well, hold on. Let me run to the store and get some ingredients so you can make this meal because I just don't have much to offer here to you to make this. It's like, no, 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 no. no. Trust me. All right? You just go do your stuff today. Just give me the free reign of your kitchen and your house, and I'll make dinner for tonight. You just come home, and your family enjoy it. And you're thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, wow. What can he really make? I mean, I got hot dogs in the freezer. You know, I got, you know, leftovers from last night. I mean, what can really happen here? And you show up that night, and it's amazing. The banquet that's been set before you. And you're like, where did you get this stuff? It was in your pantry all along. What? It was in my pantry. You had the spices. I pulled from the spices you had. I pulled what you had in the refrigerator and I put this meal together and you taste it and it's amazing. You cannot believe it. That's God's grace in your life if you're truly a believer. If you're truly a believer, God says, Look, you don't have to make it happen. It's my grace that makes it happen. And yes, You play a big part in that, but it's at my disposal. It's my calling. It's at my work. It's at my command. And you join me rather than you trying to get me to join you. Let me do what I do. And so I encourage you to reflect on your life. Because maybe some of you are like me. I can be so, so hard on myself sometimes. And I'm so eager to beat myself down over the failures in my life, but I rarely celebrate the gifts of grace in my life. And, and sure, if you look at yesterday or last week or even last month, maybe there's not a lot there to celebrate. But take a bird's eye perspective over your life. Those who you're, you're, you're striving after Christ and God is changing your attitude towards sin. And so you can't help, but you're in his word. And even if it's not as consistently as you want it to be, God is making you more and more like himself. And so you look back and you say, wow, I do. I wake up with a a greater desire to be with my church family on Sunday. And, and, And some days I really wake up eager to be in the word and pray. And you say, it didn't used to be that way. Something is happening. God's grace is at work. Beautiful things are happening. And so we celebrate that. But Satan wants us to be so ridden under our guilt and our failures that we can't embrace who we are in Christ. That we truly are saints in Christ. And when we recognize that, out of that comes this incredible passion. That God, your grace is overwhelming me. And I want to respond. Not just with gratitude, although gratitude's part of it, but just love. Just love for your Savior. Who's done such an amazing, amazing thing in your life? So, do we still, still still sin a lot? Absolutely. In fact, we're as Keller also says, we're probably way more flawed than we ever dared believe that we are. But we understand that our relationship to sin has changed. I get this question a lot. I get, don't we all sin a lot? Absolutely. We do, probably, uh, again, way more than we even realize it. If we're honest, our lives are much more of a mess than we would want to admit to people. And then oftentimes it's followed with this question "It said, well, aren't all sins the same? And this is usually a loaded question that's aimed towards something. It's a, it's, there's a question behind the question there. And this is usually an attempt to define the Christian's relationship with sin as something mo- less than our mortal enemy. They want to say that, you know, sin is not that really that bad. Or make peace with sin. Become more acceptable and tolerant of sin. Let me illustrate. Bob, let's say Bob says he's a Christian. But Bob loves to get drunk on the weekend. I mean, Bob just—not just drinking in moderation. We're talking about he loves just to get slushed. I mean, just drunk, intoxicated, and and it just makes him feel good at the moment. And he's with his friends, with his buddies, and he's having fun. He's the life of the party. His personality changes, and all of a sudden, he's just everybody wants to be around Bob. But Bob does come to church on Sundays. He he shows up, and he's part of the church. And somebody, once in K-Group, they pulled Bob aside and they said, Bob, let me, let me talk to you for a second, all right? Let me point you to some scripture here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, let me tell you what it says. It says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or a male prostitute or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these... Will inherit the kingdom of God. He says, "Some of you were like that before, but now you've been cleansed. You've been made holy. You are made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God." So he says, "When you called on Jesus Christ, if you really meant business, if you were serious about that, something radically changed in your life." And 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 Bobby looks at this list, and he can either say, "Wow, I want to conform my life to God because God has done something in my life," or You can say, like Bob will say here in my illustration, something must be wrong with this passage of Scripture. I can't buy this, right? I I just feel good about getting drunk. All my friends get drunk, and they have fun, and it can't be that bad because, you know, everybody's doing it. And he even tries to ease his conscience and he creates this system of self-justification. He begins to look into Scripture. He comes and finds out, that, like, Noah, Noah got drunk. Noah was like this great guy of God. Boaz got drunk. And, hey, get this. Jesus never directly criticized getting drunk. In fact, Jesus, he turned water into wine, right? He was complicit to those people at the wedding who were getting drunk. So he was part of that. So, so I'm concluding that getting drunk is not a problem. So I'm smarter than God, and so I'm not going to renounce my sin. In fact, I'm going to embrace my sin. I, I, I like it. In fact, I'm going to celebrate it. I'm going to find other people who like drunk and proud of it. All right? we're, going to, we're going to have rallies. We're going to do amazing things, and we're going to just be proud of the fact that if you worship Jesus, you can come along too because clearly God didn't mean getting drunk was a problem. That probably was old-fashioned for another time or place. You see? That's the problem when our identity changes, things change. Our relationship with sin changes. Yes, a process, education, reading his word, understanding the plumb line, Buzz, to know what God's standard is. But once we recognize that standard, the Holy Spirit that lives within us says, wow, God's ways are best, and God is holy, and sin is the antithesis of holiness. It's the opposite of holiness. Sin is completely the opposite of God, so much so that God's wrath is on sin. His justice is on sin. And he sent Jesus to die for sins so that we could be, again, like last week we talked about, fulfill our purpose as image bearers of God. So you see the difference? It doesn't mean that Christians are perfect doesn't mean Christians have it all together. doesn't mean that we won't at times stumble big time. But our relationship to sin can't help but change. We can't help to look at it differently. We're not proud of it. We don't celebrate it. We humbly confess it and renounce it, turn from it, and run toward Jesus. So practically today, head in Christ, you are are righteous. Sin is your enemy. God hates sin. You are righteous. You are a saint. And a saint is one who is declared righteous, who loves holiness. And so our heart, very much like the song we sing today, we run to Jesus. We put our eyes on Jesus. We rest. We rest in Jesus. I love this quote by Melissa Kruger. She says, living as a saint who struggles with sin is profoundly different from living as a sinner who is desperately trying to be a saint. Let that soak in. Living as a saint who struggles with sin is profoundly different than living as a sinner who's who's desperately trying to measure up and to be a saint. So we rest. Even in our striving, we rest. We rest in Jesus. We look to Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. And then our hands, practically. I'm going to encourage you to pray real gospel-centered prayers. And I know that sounds super, super simple. But most of the time, truthfully, our prayers look like a long list of our wants and desires and needs. And very little about the gospel and understanding our relationship to sin and why Jesus came. And and I encourage you to Practically, before you ever get to a place in your prayer where you're saying, God, help this person, protect this person, do this, do that, that you pray real gospel-centered prayers. God, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm the worst of sinners. And practically, so much of me desires to sin. And there's this conflict in me because the Spirit wars against the flesh, and the flesh wars against the Spirit, Scripture says. And God, I confess that to you. It's like one of the people who are in our marriage mentoring gave me permission to say this. She said that she was really struggling big time with being defensive in her relationship, and our counsel in marriage mentoring was begin to pray about this. Just honestly pray, God, I've recognized my sin of defensiveness in my relationship, in my marriage, and I repent of that. And you don't one and done. You just continue to bring that before God, God. Every day, I I needed to be dependent upon you because you've made me aware of this sin in my life. It's pride, and it comes up often. And so, God, I confess it to you as sin. I'm praying gospel-centered prayers to the Father. And God says, that's the humble gospel heart I want. Not one who tries to justify their sin or to pretend like they're not there or even... Beat yourself down over your sin. But it's a mindset, it's a life that recognizes that as long as I'm on this earth, I will still be in the presence of sin. And it's right here, this indwelling sin is still part of me. But the power has been broken, and the penalty has been broken. And we need the grace that God gives us through his word to show us our sin, through our church family to hold us accountable and help us and encourage us and and spur us on, as Scripture says, so that we can live for God and His holiness. Not so that our lives can be better, but so we can fulfill our very purpose in life, which is to be image bearers of God for those others to see and see His holiness and His greatness in us. Let's pray. God, we all must admit at some level, at some place, at some time, probably more often than we care to think to be true, that, we think we're smarter than you, that we want to justify and work up a system where we feel better about ourselves even as we indulge our flesh. And God, I pray that you will help us to see that we don't just not sin because it's a bad thing to do. It doesn't reflect you. It doesn't reflect your greatness. It doesn't show people to that you are big and greater and mightier and stronger, and that you offer redemption and change. And God, I pray that you'll help us to be a church of humble hearts that are driven by the gospel. And God, help us to see and recognize the things that Scripture points out in our lives and help us to slow down and pause and talk to you and pray those gospel-centered prayers and truly have a relationship with you that truly recognizes the value that the gospel makes in our life in every facet, every corner, every area, every relationship. And God, we thank you for Jesus and for his rescue. In Jesus' name.